Abba Yahweh, thank you for this opportunity again to come to you in prayer, the breath that you fill my lungs with, Father, so that I can get up and move about in this day that you have made, this day to be a gathering people, this day to come to your house. I come to you and thanks, Father God. Thank you for the opportunity, for your blessings to come to me for sharing your truth, knowledge, and wisdom to others that will hear and listen and heed your truth, knowledge, and wisdom, Father, that it's a blessing to them, and by virtue of my being your conduit, that you bless me. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity. Abba Yahweh Aman, Eshua Aman, all praiseworthy. The triune spirit of the Lord God Almighty, who manifests and came to this earth, Walk this plane of existence so was crucified for our sakes. Okay, here's a, this is actually a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand and ooh, 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 I got the answer because I already know it. So you all do realize that that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is the power and authority that is given to each and every one of us by God. And it is that power and authority that is given to us by Jesus Christ when he did that in Luke 10. Remember I shared, Luke wrote this down. Let me share some information with you that some of you may or may not know that the most, uh, probably the most accurate and precise individuals you have, is you, you have Matthew who was, um, who had multilingual skills he was, uh, by all accounts, a CPA, we may call him now. But the guy was a publican. He was working for the Romans. He was being paid, actually, by the Romans and the Jews. Many didn't know that the, uh, that the Sanhedrin had their hands in their pockets paying him, too, because he, he protected their assets, you might call it. He made it very... Plain, but yet, you know, of course, for their show and tell, they had to, it was their, what we used to call dog and pony show. They would, you know, take sides with the people against the publicans, you know, because he was working for Rome, but he was also working for them because they, led, they did quite well. Anyway, beside that point, Matthew and Luke were very detailed in their scriptures. They were a little more precise in things than they than the others were because, again, as I said, Matthew was a publican. He was a CPA. He was a bookkeeper. He kept the books and was very diligent at that. And his notes that he took when he walked with Jesus, he was very precise. He liked things to be a certain way. Um, it doesn't say so specifically in the Bible, but it's also um, quite possible just because of his actions, and you can you can read it in the scripture and almost be able to interpolate, read between the lines, is what that word means, um, and see that Matthew actually had a little bit of a, he was very, um, what they call OCD. You know, an interesting thing to find, okay, I'm getting a little sidebar here, but this is, this is along the lines. 
It's pretty funny how Mammon wants to make these declarations of what's wrong with everyone. Oh, you got ADHD, D, double D, D, O, C, D, blah, 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 and everything becomes a disorder. How is that in reality a disorder? And I bring it to that point because most of the people that had the attention deficit issues they had were actually great artisans and uh, had genius minds. And I bring this up because my grandchild, I had two of them that have what they want to call a disorder and they want them to take medication for this disorder, except the fact that my grandson, my oldest grandson, had to do the DVD and the VCR for my son because he was having problems getting the clock up and getting everything set the way it was supposed to work. And at, uh, I think it was just about ready to turn 10, he did this for my son. He put it together and got it all plugged in and recorded, and he didn't even use the instructions. Neither one of them used instructions, and I try to explain, <laughs> try to explain to him that the instructions there are supposed to help us, and they tend to get a little frustrated because um, it's not going exactly as it should. And then I get in there and I show them. I said, "Well, you line this up this way," and then they they come to realization. They first are in a little bit of agitation, and then they realize and they do it correctly. They don't use the instructions. They don't like to read the instructions. It takes too long. That's not a disorder. I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care who you are. I'll, I'll argue till the cows come home, but that's not a disorder. It's not a dysfunction, but they try to get them to believe it's a dysfunction or a disorder. And then the big farmer gets moms and dads to start pumping medication into them instead of talking, counseling, and praying over the children, you know, and I'm not by any means or way, shape, or form a Scientologist. I'm just more into the things that God provided. And I say that because God provides us a really good medicine cabinet. And the reason why our medications are so poisonous and they're so treacherous is because mammon has decided they can make it better, faster, and stronger than God because it's all about now, gotta have it now, wanna get it now, and God has this thing called his timing. But we want it now. This is a song. There's a song a group sing, and it's kind of a raucous rock and roll thing. We want it now, we gotta have it now. Anyway, but that's the way mammon is. We want everything now, we want it in our time, but God doesn't produce it that way. There's a reason for timing. And we forget that God functions on his universal time and not on our time. So anyway, mammon has taken medication that God's provided for us, for our sakes. Everything God does is for our sake so that we continue to love. But here's the thing. We get tired of it. We don't want to wait for it. We don't want to wait for God's timing. We want to have it. We want it now, 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 now. So the claim for mammon and big pharmaceutical companies that they have made it better, faster, stronger. Oh, what they did is they filled it with poison. That's not to say that all the doctors are bad and that they all do that. There are some that take the leading of the God and they, and he shows them, he guides them. He is, after all, the great physician.
And those that honor him, he will honor them. And there are many that do. The ones that I tend to have an issue with that claim their doctoral degree and may, and their, their authority is the penultimate and, and uh, some of these self-proclaimed individuals that declare themselves as self-help gurus and that they can teach you how to be self-helpful. <laughs> but that's almost an oxymoron because we step over ourselves so many times. We have so many issues because we can't get out of our own way. And things become chaotic when we try to do it ourselves. And we get in our own way and we get in God's way and we just meddle things. The point being is that the power and authority that raised our Jesus from the grave and took that stone that weighed at least a couple tons in size. And this is uh, some mathematical figuring that was done by one of my mentors. And I think it was, uh, it was actually very cool. And that the bits and pieces that he put together was because of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man and had the tomb that he used to lay Jesus down because he volunteered that. And they laid him in that tomb. He was a wealthy man and he paid for the carving of the tomb, and the stone and mechanics were made so that the stone could be rolled up with a minimal of effort because the stone was so huge and it was made this little tracking and it was laid in place. And that power, that authority that God has over everything, the stone was found rolled not just away and set out of the way, but the stone was found removed and laying in the field beside where the sepulcher was carved. And the angel was, <laughs> was sitting on the stone. Uh, Excuse me, why are you here looking for something that's not here? Why, well, whatever do you mean, angel of the Lord? Well, Jesus isn't here anymore. And of course, Mary came down and she stooped down and looked in the tomb. And indeed, Jesus was gone. But that stone wasn't moved so Jesus could get out. The stone was removed so that they that may have had any kind of doubts or skepticism could stoop down and look in and see that he was gone. And remember too that when Peter and John ran up and, and John ran up to the tomb And, it's, and an interesting factoid that I just realized, the Spirit kind of took me on. It's interesting to note that Peter, who had kind of a, not quite sure what the script, the scriptures are not specific, but he had a little bit of a, I don't know if you call it pigeon toe or, anyway, it's not specific, but there, it alluded to the fact that when, uh, he was in a foot race 
he was a little hampered. But on the particular day that they were heading to the tomb, Peter got there first. And they were running. And uh, Peter went in, went into the tomb. And he saw that the linens were folded and set in one place and that the linen that was about Jesus' face and laid for a pillow, it was also in a different place. They weren't all together as if uh, what the point in the word of God is telling is that the linens were folded and set aside. They weren't just pulled off and tossed in a heap. If that had been the case, they would have all been together and in a pile, but they weren't. They were folded and the linens that wrapped his body were laid in one place and the linen that was about his head and used for pillow was folded and in a different place. One, each end of the part of the sepulcher, I'm not sure what the specific word is, but where they laid his body on. It's very specific in the nature of this so that you can you can read a verbal picture of this. So understand the same power that God raised him from the dead and is was within him from the beginning is within us. That same power and authority, that authority that Jesus gives us to step on the heads of the serpents and on the scorpions, those Bibles speak for the minions of hell that work for Satan. We have authority to step on them. And in the same scripture, we're told that we have also the, that power and authority to face down the enemy himself, which means that Satan is not what everyone makes this picture to be in their head, that he is, oh, Satan is like a God. No, he's not. Satan isn't anywhere close to being a God, and that's what he wanted to be, which is why he got kicked out of heaven. He is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent, and he's not Omniscient. He can't he be all places at once. He's nothing like God. He's not great like a God. The only thing really that Satan can do is a conjurer. And where the problem lies <clears throat> is within our own mindset. Where's your mindset? Are you going to believe the white noise and the interference of Satan? And here's the thing too. Remember, brothers and sisters, I've shared this with you countless times. And I'm going to share it with you again. And it doesn't matter how many times need be said. I have this little mirror that floats around in front of me. And when I'm speaking and turning my head and look different ways, my reflection is in there. So when I'm speaking to you, I'm also speaking to myself. Unless you hear me specifically say, and sometimes I do, and I sound very directive, well, that's because it is. But at the same time, there's this mirror that flows around and I, can, I have to speak to myself in things. And I am 
because Satan knows of certain things and he will use his wiles to interfere with my thought process and keep me away from God. And my thoughts interferes with prayers so that prayers are interrupted or I get distracted. But here's, here's, this is something that's very important that you have to know and understand this. God knows we are weak. He still called us to be about his business. And he knows that we have weaknesses. He knows that Satan tries to distract us. So if you're in a meditative state, and this isn't like, um, you know, people get this strange notion about meditation. Meditation is nothing more than a focused thought process. It always, it works better when you focus in a quiet state and it's, it's difficult to meditate when you're not. But meditation, you don't have to have these uh, for me, I'll call them focal points. And, and sometimes they have some in certain religions that are, um, they're a hollowed, uh, they're alabaster, they're different materials and they use them. So when they twirl a little device on it, it, it just makes a constant hum and it draws the focus so the person can meditate better. That's not wholly wrong, brothers and sisters. You can't say, oh, well, that meditation, that's that's mystical stuff and I'm not going to get this because I'm a Christian and I'm follow God. Well, the Bible tells us that we should meditate on him day and night and on his truth, his knowledge day and night. Meditating on God. It doesn't mean that you have to dance around and you have all these little tinkly things that on your fingers and you do things like that. It doesn't mean that. What it just means is that you have focus your thought process and be with God. Well, Satan tries to disrupt that. God knows that. But to return from that disoriented state, which is what Satan tries to get us to do, tries to get us to leave that meditative state that you're in with God and leave that focus and go wandering and allow that white noise interference to disrupt what we're doing with God God knows that happens. He does. He knows that that'll happen. But just bring your focus back to God, and you can do that. Do not allow the wiles of the enemy to distract you. You have the power and authority that it was given to us. And that same power is what raised Jesus, our Savior, Emmanuel, God in us, God with us, Christ anointed of God from the dead. He was crucified. He died. His body was taken and it was put in the tomb. The stone was removed, set aside, and he was and it was on the third day as he said would happen. The promises and the truths that are established in the Bible by his word Brothers and sisters, they're being scientifically proven out. There are geologists, archaeologists that are finding things that were said and pointed out in the Bible are true. Evidence is being found that the things that happened 
that were said to have happened did happen. For me, that's powerful. But what's more powerful even still is that authority that we have been given and shared by our Lord. And we are told when we are adopted, our adoption letter, Romans 8, declares that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we are invited by his truth, his promises. We are told, and this is the business that I'm about, that my Lord, my God, that I share with others, my Father's business to offer the opportunity. It's not a great deal of, uh, some people will say mumbo jumbo and hocus pocus, those that are arrogant and quite frankly, just obnoxious. It's not mumbo jumbo, it's not hocus pocus. It just, it's a quiet time. If you're uncomfortable and you don't know what to do, pray through it. Find someone that you know and that you trust to sit and pray with you. You can also do it at church. They have altar calls. We have at the church that I attend, we have our prayer team that come to the front and they stand so that individuals will have an opportunity to come down and get prayer and you can do it at that time. Or if you don't feel comfortable in doing it in front of the congregation. And you prefer to do it privately. Can do it with someone that you trust and you know. Tell them that you want to do it privately. And you would rather do it privately. You just feel more comfortable. For some, it's just kind of an awkward position for them to be out in front of people. God knows that. God understands that. God's not complaining. God's loving the fact that you want to come and you want to accept, just like the Bible tells us in John 3.16. And the perverts want to say that we have been teaching it wrong and that God condemns you and he uses that as blackmail against you. That's not what God's doing. If they read the scripture in context, God offers that and you have a free will choice to decide either you're going to accept that Jesus Christ came and died for you, that he is the only begotten son of God, or you are not. If you do not, then you condemn yourself. And if you do, then that savior by his grace, that opportunity that he's given to you, you will be saved. Remember that God's grace and his mercy is what saves you. It isn't some pastor, some guy up on the podium, and it isn't me. I don't save you. I give you the directions on how to get there. But once you get there, Jesus has paid everything for you. He's paid the tolls. And the entrance gate to that highway the gates of heaven, that tollway is open to you. And Jesus pays the toll. He's paid the toll. 
He paid it all. There's nothing you can do that can pay him back. There's nothing you or I can do to repay God's grace and mercy for dying for us, cleansing us, and redeeming us. I've shared this translation with you before. Jesus, the word Jesus means savior. And his name is Jesus Emmanuel, which means God in us, God with us. Christ, anointed of God. Jesus Emmanuel Christ bar Jonah means that he comes from his earthly father, Joseph and Mary. And he's given that complete how because it's what he came to do. He came to be a man. He came to walk in our steps and he came so that he knows our lives and it's a thing called empathy. He came for that. But in and through that, he came as a sacrificial lamb for each and every one of us. And that was presented before the Lord God. Holy and acceptable and perfect. I remember the elders of the synagogue. This is when Jesus got agitated and he and he laid on to them. <laughs> yeah, he, he got agitated, but his anger was because they were stealing from God, stealing from God's children, and they were making the house of worship a den of thieves. And Jesus told them that. He got angry, and he turned over the tables, and he took a scourge, and he didn't whip them in any way, shape, or form the way they did him. But he let them know that he was angry and he shooed them out of the courtyards of the temple. Why? And Jesus told them why. He said, he have changed my father's house, a house of worship, a house of prayer, and you have changed it into a den of thieves. They were changing the money. People that came and they gave their last few cents, they had to have temple money because the money that they brought couldn't be touched by anyone within the house. We had the, the Levites that were uh, from the tribe of Levi that were in that line and they took care of the temple. They came in and they counted the money and did all that that was put in for the offerings. Oh, it was unclean because it was not temple money. So what they did is they made people come and change their money for a percent. There was a... Uh, what would they call it? Um, it's not a finder's fee, or, but anyway, it's a, uh, when you go and you change money from one currency to another, when I, I've been to several countries and if you want to change to their monetary, many, many countries, if you were traveling with a passport, actually back in certain days, it, back in the, as they say, back in the day, you didn't have to, change money and there were plenty that accepted American money. They don't do that so much anymore. Some still do, but they don't do it so much anymore. But back in those days, but when you change that, if you were traveling with a passport, you can go and you could, uh, you could use American money. 
but you had to do it on a, what they call the exchange rate. Well, that's what they were doing at the temple. They were charging an exchange rate. If you change, you came and they, they demanded that you change your money. You had to have temple money because your money wasn't good enough. So the exchange rate was a percentage that they kept, and this is how they made their money. If you brought an offering for sacrifice, they would declare, of course, because they had somebody in charge of the temple, somebody who was uh, ordained by the power that ran the temple, that they would uh, demand that your sacrifice was not clean enough and that they just happened to have animals that were set aside for sacrificing and that they would take yours and in exchange rate for one of the temple sacrifices that was authorized and ordained by their ministerial staff members. And you could take one of those animals and it would be okay to sacrifice to the Lord God Almighty, but you would have to pay them an exchange rate. These people had definitely put it together so they could steal from the people and make money on those things that were intended for God. It made him angry. So he turned over their tables, spilled the money, chased the animals off, and ran them out of the courts of the temple. Ran them right to the gates and shooed them away. Well, that made them upset. And it did also increase the attitude that the Sanhedrin had, in particular the Pharisees. So it just increased the target that Jesus kept putting on his own back. But see, he already knew that was happening. He knew that was coming. And why did he do that? Why did he do that? Did he do that to make a show? Jesus did that because they had defiled God's house. They were stealing from that which came in purity from the people, the children of God who were coming to honor him. And they brought a sacrifice and everything that they had, they were bringing and they took it out of their portion and they brought it to him sacrifice, their tithing, and in many cases that was all that they had because they had been so heavily taxed by the Romans and their religious elders anyway, but then more so that offering that was set aside for them to come and give to God was being taken and intercepted by the money changers. So actually it angered the Lord in several directions. Number one, they were stealing from God and they were stealing from his children. They came to honor God and it was being hijacked. So the Lord was angry and he ran them off. And they got angry because he was obeying the law as it was established. But they kept trying to say that Jesus was dishonoring the law of Moses. So wait a second. He came from God. He was with God and actually was there at the burning bush. 
and was so aptly described. He is the law of Moses. And all these things that the Sadducees were hanging on to, the law, the law, the law, the written law that Jesus is violating, the law, the law. And then they, they were putting together these letters of authority in his violation. But the reality is that he, he is the established law that Moses was given to deliver to the nation anyway. He is the law. They were so caught up in trying to declare that Jesus was a blasphemer and that he was violating their state of law. They didn't even recognize the truth of what he was saying. They could, And when he spoke the truth that could be deciphered if you were paying attention in the thought process and put it together, he was giving them holy logic to put together that it was established by him anyway. But they missed it. And just like Jesus explained to us in the word, and specifically in the group of disciples that were with him physically, he was explaining to them how there are those that were in that mental process and the leaders that they wanted this information and they wanted the speech and how he was giving to them. And when he spoke parabolically, it made it difficult they didn't understand. But here's the thing. If they were meditating on God, if they were in his word and they were truly studying to show themselves approved, that the spirit would descend and would guide them through and give them the open spiritual eyesight that was given to the disciples. Now they had questions because they were trying to figure it out in their own mind process. Jesus understood that. And he explained to him, he said, but you have that which they desire and they can't find. And I give that to you. The spirit gives it to you. Sometimes they had an issue. They didn't understand that. It was too parabolic for them. Even in that, when Jesus spoke openly to them, sometimes they had a little bit of a problem because it seemed too much of a parable to them. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, our guide. And Jesus told us that when he leaves, he will send the comforter, and that is the Holy Spirit. A very interesting analogy that was given by one of my mentors, and I, I love this actually, it's really kind of, it's perfect. So what is a comforter? Well, a comforter in our plane of existence is kind of a blanket, it's not a full-size blanket as you would have on a bed, king-size bed, queen-size bed, whatever. Um, it's kind of a blanket. Um, and for those, as myself, I don't like the thermostat turned up way high. I don't like it hot in the house. But there might be what some would call a bit of a chill. So you can put a comforter over your lap and make yourself comfortable in the house, or you just want that feeling of comfort, so you put it over your body and it it does. It keeps you. And then you sit down and you read, you say whatever you're doing, and you have that comforter. Well, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. But here's the thing that's important. The analogy that my mentor used was that 
his wife bought a new comforter. It was kind of foo-foo and pretty to look at. And she put it on the back of their sofa so that when you come in and you come in, it's draped there and it's all, oh, that's so pretty. And one day he came in and he was doing his reading. There was a little chill. So he took this and he used it. And wife kind of went a little, got a little upset. So what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm using your comforter. She said, it's not to use, it's to look at. And he didn't understand that because he's a man. So there are things that men, anyway, we won't go there. But he didn't understand that. And she got him another one out of the closet that wasn't looked at all the time. And she made him remove that one and she gave him the other and then washed it and put it back so it could be looked at. But our comforter that our Lord left this plane of existence to go back home because as he told us, I go to prepare a place for you. For in my father's house are many mansions and he's preparing our place. But he said, I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna have the comforter come to take my place. And the comforter came, but here, here's the important part. If you're just going to look and you're not going to use and you're not going to call on the Holy Spirit, it's not gonna do you any good. That's factual. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord God, they will come to us and provide it for us to help us realize that he is with us and in us all the time. And the Holy Spirit will guide our steps, teach us and clarify things, but you have to call for that to be used. You have to talk to God so that the Holy Spirit can guide your steps. You call on Jesus, who came and was crucified for our Savior. He is our Savior, our Redeemer. He came and saved us. But you call on the name of Jesus to come and reside in you so that your life has changed. You call on the Lord. You declare that you want to have that faith in God to show that faith, and Jesus explained about faith to us. Many, 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 many misunderstand faith. They think it's gotta be this great faith, this huge faith. What did Jesus explain? He explained that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and a mustard seed, if any of you have seen it compared to other seeds, it's very small. Faith the size of a grain of mustard, Mustard seed, really tiny, even smaller than a sesame, even smaller than a caraway, even smaller than uh, a chia. Very, very small. But it's not that in itself, it's the faith in God that you take and you direct your faith in God, knowing that God has power and authority. Remember this, he 
had the power to raise Jesus from the dead on the third day, as Jesus said would happen. And God made that happen through that power, that same power that is within us. So here's another question for you. I'm going to turn it around a little bit. I already know the answer. It's kind of rhetorical, kind of rhetorical question. And not so much so. But rhetorical in that I don't need an answer from anyone. But you need to think on this and you provide that answer to yourself. Do you want to be a victor or do you want to be a conqueror? And you might say to someone you're sitting by or you might say to yourself, say, self, what's he mean by that? Well, you can either be a victor, you can be victorious, or you can be a conqueror. We have been given the power and authority to to be conquerors in God's name, Jesus' name, come to the Father through Jesus' Son. Jesus told us that. We have that power. We have been given that to be more than victors. We have that to be conquerors. But so many people get caught up and distracted by all these other things that are going on. So there might be some that say, oh, wait a minute, isn't being a victor a conqueror? No, it's not. It's not. Because you can take part in a victory and not even go out and do anything. You have so many that in this country, they have no inkling of the veterans that went And let me share this with you, and it's going to be, it's going to be in line, so it's being allowed to share, that you have your veterans that have gone out and sacrificed. They've actually left their families and the homes, and some have not come back. They all give some, and some gave all, which means that they died in sacrifice, this country. They they left their families. Some of them didn't see their, their first child being born and they went to serve and died. Never came back. And you have all those individuals here that take part and say, oh yeah, yeah. We, we're, we, won, we won that. We got that. And they take part in celebrating the victory but they didn't go and take part in anything. They're, they're not part of that. And there are many that do that same thing in the Christian walk or what they claim to be their Christian walk. Self-proclaimed label heads and they are not conquerors. They just take part in the victory. And there are those that openly share. Well, I don't, have to do anything. I don't understand why we have to go do this, why we have to go testify, why we have to share, why we have to do this. I don't even like going to church. And I just, I saw something um, the other day, I was reading something else specific. And then there was some smart out that came on and says, well, I don't even like going to church. I go over here and um, I can have my beer time. And I get so tired of hearing about the word. I get so tired of having them talk about the word of God. I get tired of church. Well, that's because you are filled with white noise interference. 
And there are actually those that claim to be Christian that are in that way. I mean, they might not be beer time, but whatever. They, they're distracted quite readily by Super Bowl and things that are going on around them. That tumult is allowed to come in and whirlwind around their lives. And that's what their import is. The excitement of this plane of existence is more important. They shrug off the comforter and they don't talk to God. They don't call on the comforting spirit that he has given all of us. They're not thankful to him for even sacrificing and dying for our sakes. And then they become fearful Remember, I've shared this before. God knows that things frighten us. He knows that we, and there are many who express that they're afraid of the devil and they don't feel like they can face him down. Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus gave us that authority when he was speaking to the disciples and Luke wrote it down in his notes and Jesus was speaking to us, not just to them. In the Bible, Jesus speaking to them that were there physically with him. But brother and sister, let me tell you this about that. He's talking to all of us that claim his authority, that claim him as having died and sacrificed himself for us. And we exercise faith in God. We have that power and authority, the same power and authority that God used to raise Jesus physically from the dead on the third day, as he said, would happen. And then, of course, Jesus was transfigured and glorified. The sad part of it is, is that there were some that even went up to the mount, and as soon as Jesus left, they left. They didn't even go to church anymore. They didn't gather anymore. They were not the gathering people because he wasn't physically there doing everything and they couldn't see it all in front of their face. So what did they do? They cast their mustard seed to the ground and it fell on stony ground. What do you do with your faith? And you have to understand and know this too, that God wants to empower. And he has put that in us, but we have to call for it. We have to believe in it. And the things that happen are to fortify our faith. It's not gonna grow our faith. We, we may use that term um, analytically in our lives. But remember this, you don't have to grow the size of your faith. It's not that. All you have to have is faith the size of a mustard seed. But that faith needs to be in God where the power is. Claim and declare that and remember that. Call on the Holy Spirit for guidance. Don't just shrug it off. And you have angels that are waiting. They're waiting in the guardian angel line to come and do and take care of and guide us through his spirit but you don't call for it. And if you don't call for it, then basically they're standing in an angelic unemployment line, 
Nobody's putting them to work because you don't talk to God and people think that you don't have to do that anymore. Or they speak plainly and openly and they're not speaking to God in that heavenly language. And this comes from those that have declared themselves to be of more import than anything else. And there are those that say that there's no reason for the gifts of the spirit anymore because, oh, we don't need that. We're in the modern day and age. Well, pff, wait a second. We're in a Bible that say that God's not gonna provide that anymore because we've come to a certain point in realization. See, that's what happened with the Sanhedrin. They started relying on their own intellect and didn't pray to God much. And when they did, it was uh, empty. And they'd go out and they'd bob and weave out in the marketplace and make a big show. And they'd try to pray louder than the guy down the lane. And the attention would be drawn to them. And then they would, and as the Lord said, you got your reward, because that's what you're looking to do. You're looking to show out. Or you're looking to show off. You're not showing out, you're showing off what you know and what you've learned and you're showing off, you're not showing out. We are called to show out. And what that means and the difference between that is, is that what God has put into us, he wants us to share with everybody. He didn't want us to keep it and be selfish with it. Although I'd like to hold all this, but God's called me to be about his business, to give everyone the opportunity. So when you show out what God puts in us, which is that power and authority that he has given to us, he wants us to show that out and share it with folks so that every one of us would have an opportunity to be saved and be heirs and joint heirs in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the thing. Some people get this weird notion in their head. Why would I want to do that? Because then my portion would be greater. No, it's not. It doesn't work that way. See, that's on the temporal plane of existence. And this is why families go at war with each other. And I mean literally at war with each other when you have somebody hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, and they get more, they win in the end when they have all the stuff and then they leave it to their family who then goes at, to battle with one another because their portion wasn't as much as the other and they think that they deserve more because they were doing more of whatever. The mental aspect behind this is absolute foolishness. It's all temporal and it's gonna rust and rot and be spent and decompose and turn into piles of rust and ash anyway. But they think that they're gonna have more so when whoever, Uncle Bob, Aunt Joni or whoever dies and they leave them all this stuff that, they, that they're winning because they'll have more. And you actually have individuals that think, oh, well, I'm not gonna go do this because that's taken away from my portion in heaven. Well, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. In the kingdom of heaven, all are part and parcel of everything. Everything. And you're there in this God's spirit and loved ones and everyone that left before us, we're all there to gather together anyway. And the central focus is not gonna be on your portion. But there are actually individuals that get that notion in their brains. And that brings me to the next point. Is that part of your giant that you've created and grown up so that you see yourself as a grasshopper rather than in that little minuscule size grain of mustard seed, that faith that you're not putting your faith in God 
that you're putting your faith in that thing which is temporal and it's not really yours anyway? Are you creating a giant out of worry, out of your anger, out of your guilt or our fear? Remember, God knows that we're going to be afraid of things. He just wants you to be fearful. Because when you are fearful, you're allowing fear to guide your steps. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. You're reacting to people differently than you normally would when you're fearful. When you allow that to guide you, you react to individuals differently than you normally would. But you have to remember this. If you have one or more of them and it seems like the giants are ganging up on you, the power and authority that you have in God Almighty Yahweh, the maker of all things made, Abba Yahweh, Abba, your father, your heavenly father, Abba Yahweh, father, maker of all things made, has given you power and authority to step on their heads, to put them under your heel, and to face down the enemy that sent them after you anyway. You have that power and you have that authority. Don't forget it. Call on the Holy Spirit. Don't shuff the, the comforter off in a heap on the end of the couch. Ask for the guidance. Ask for that. Ask for your angels to come and help you if you feel like you need to have them. God sends them. He will send them. Don't have them standing in the angel unemployment line because their directive is to come and help us. But we need to talk to God on the gifts of the spirit that God provides. He still provides and he will provide because he's the same yesterday, today, and always. That means that his gifts are the same yesterday, today, and always. And you have those individuals that try to establish that their line of thinking is preeminent. So they're usurping the authority that God has and has shared as his child, as an heir, a joint heir with the kingdom of heaven. They're establishing that God is not going to do that now because we're in modern day. That's not true. The gifts of the spirit are as prevalent today as they were when God first established. All you have to do is put them to use. Have you ever noticed something in a hand tool? Okay, I know this sounds a little bit off, of course, but it's not. That when you take an object and you keep it in a drawer and you don't use it, it tends to get this uh, patina. But then when you take it out and you start using it all the time, it gets this little shine to it and that patina tends to go away. That's because you're using it. So I say that to say this, are you putting these gifts in a drawer and they're getting this patina of unuse or do you utilize them? I'm gonna share this straight up and open with you. And some of you have heard me say it when I've been speaking on this and I can't help it because the spirit wells up in me. But speaking to God in heavenly language, that's just giving honor and glory to him. And let me share something else with you too is that you seek that as one of his gifts and he allows that because Satan and his minions can't intercept that. When you pray openly and you pray 
he is able to intercept and will work and his minions will get sent to work and they want to interrupt you and they want to head off what you're seeking or looking for. But if you pray and spread, they can't understand it. So learning how to do that, it doesn't make it, um, it's not a preeminent gift and you can utilize that just to speak directly to God and contact directly to heaven. That's what it's used for. Some people get this, they get the heebie-jeebies when you start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and then when you try to utilize it, it's like the other gifts are okay, but oh, don't speak in tongues because it's confusing. Well, it's only confusing because you don't understand it. It's not a language for others to understand. But know this too, is that God is not a God of confusion and that when he has someone share that openly with a congregation, there will be an interpretation or a translation, as you will. And it's not something that he would use to confuse and misguide other individuals. So just be cautious. There's some people that will... It's easy to get carried away. I mean, it's really powerful. But the Holy Spirit, if you practice and you talk to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will guide. And we're told that the Holy Spirit was sent for that purpose. We just have to remember these things. That we need to Talk to God, and we have to stop trying to figure things out with our own mindset because that's not our job. So quit trying to take the angel's job. Quit trying to take the Holy Spirit's job. Quit trying to take God's job. Don't work on usurping God's authority. He is sovereign, and he's got it all figured out. He's had it figured out from the beginning. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you daily for your guidance and your care.